In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Episcopal Diocese of Arkansas was in trouble in the spring of 1932. A convention to elect a bishop the previous autumn had resulted in stalemate due to struggles of factions backing different candidates. The old bishop, James Winchester, remarked in a letter that the devil seems to have gotten into that convention. (laughs) I do not know how he got there, but he certainly seems to have been there. This sad state of affairs seemed to continue the next spring when the diocesan convention gathered at St. Paul's Church in Newport. Part of the trouble concerned differences over the place and role of African Americans at the convention. At the time, four African American priests served congregations of what was known as the Colored Convocation. They were led by the Right Reverend Edward T. Demby, the first African American ordained bishop in the entire Episcopal Church who worked under the supervision of the Bishop of Arkansas. These clergy attended diocesan convention, but were not allowed to vote except, crucially, in the election of a diocesan bishop. In this convention, therefore, they had an unusual degree of power, constituting one-fourth of the clergy vote. Since they voted as a block, as it happened, Their role was questioned by those supporting opposing candidates, one of whom, by the way, was the dean of Trinity Cathedral. (laughs) So-called race thus became an issue for political reasons. But the trouble went beyond that. In advance of the convention, and contrary to past practice, some wanted to exclude African Americans altogether from the opening communion service. The rector of St. Paul's Newport, at the behest of his vestry, wrote to Bishop Demby, the African-American bishop, describing plans for a separate Eucharist for African-Americans in the church's undercroft. Church business was a public matter involving men at that time, but the Eucharist with men and women coming together at the table had a social dimension, they believed. And given this, some regarded interaction across the color line as inappropriate, especially since black men would be serving white women. And that was the thinking of the day, among many, not all. Tensions along lines of so-called race intensified when Bishop Demby and his clergy refused to attend a segregated service. We're not going downstairs, basically, they said. And on entering the building for the main service, sadly, Demby and his clergy were asked to sit at the back of the church. This, along with an electoral stalemate, resulted in high tensions by the time the convention adjourned for lunch. Then... On this otherwise dark day, a ray of light shined. 
as delegates and clergy sat at segregated lunch tables. Mrs. Mildred Dorsey, a local matriarch born before the Civil War, crossed the room and ate with the black clergy. The body of Christ, the church, had suffered from lack of engagement among its members. But Mrs. Dorsey brought healing and a measure of peace by showing true hospitality and treating these men as her brothers in Christ. The segregationists were right about one thing. Engaging in table fellowship with others, whether at the altar or in the lunchroom, acknowledges the dignity and worth of others and acknowledges and, and expresses an openness to the influence of others. Mrs. Dorsey and Bishop Demby both realized that without such engagement, the church couldn't follow the great commandment to carry out that ultimate form of engagement we call love. Without this engagement on a deep level, they knew, fullness of life which Christ came to bring would be impossible. This, I would say, this kind of engagement based rooted in divine love was the better part chosen by Mary of Bethany in today's gospel. We certainly shouldn't criticize her sister Martha, who provided the essential context of hospitality for this loving engagement between Mary and Jesus, and indeed herself and Jesus. It was naturally a bit scandalous in Martha's eyes that her sister presumed to learn as a student of this holy teacher just as a male disciple would. When in the scriptures it says someone sat at someone's feet, that means that person was a student. And Mary was presuming to be, a, in effect, a rabbinical student. Yet Jesus encouraged this breaking down of barriers, without which the kingdom of God, characterized by loving engagement with God and neighbor, could not come. Sometimes barriers need to be broken down for that good purpose. Scripture tells us that wonderful things begin to happen when we open ourselves up to hospitable interaction when we open ourselves to fellowship in the best sense of the word. The letter to the Hebrews urges us not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For, the letter says, by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Abraham and Sarah, our forefather and foremother in faith, were wonderfully open in today's Old Testament reading to three mysterious visitors who came to their tent on a hot day. They, see, they seem, these visitors seemed about to move on, but Abraham said, no, no, stay. And because of his willingness to engage with those strangers and because of his generous provision for them, Abraham and Sarah received an amazing gift in return, the promise that at their advanced ages they would have a son which, who would help fulfill earlier promises. You see, in engaging with the strangers, the couple unexpectedly found themselves engaging with God and receiving a blessing. 
This reminds me of St. Luke's wonderful account of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were mourning in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion. They encountered a stranger who talked with them about the scriptures. As he seemed about to move on away from them, they said, No, stay with us, for evening is at hand, and the day is past. And so this stranger had supper with them. Significantly, it was at the table, at the breaking of bread, when they realized who the stranger was, the risen Christ himself. Again, hospitable engagement with a stranger paid off hugely. The same is true in our own day. Either we engage lovingly with others at the holy table and beyond, or we fail to live the full life that God so longs to give us. God calls us to do better than we have done in recent years with whole segments of the Episcopal Church squaring off against others, resulting in schism, and with some Anglican bishops worldwide refusing to take communion with others who interpret Scripture differently from them. This pains the heart of God, I'd say, just as God was pained by our 1932 diocesan convention, or most aspects of it anyway. In his first letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul tries to bring home to the church in Corinth the seriousness of failing to show each other true hospitality. He says that by not being considerate of each other and by believing that some are better than others, Paul says the Corinthians had failed to discern the body of Christ in their midst. Seeing the body in the sacrament and seeing the body in the people of God go together. And Paul minces no words in noting that this had even fatal consequences. He says, some have even died because you've been treating each other so poorly. Maybe that's literally true. When we disregard or mistreat others, we are actually hurting ourselves and, of course, God. A Christian, by his or her very nature, is part of a body, part of a community. And his or her natural place is at the table with God and his or her sisters and brothers. And to resist that full communion is the worst thing we can do, probably. Because it's an offense against God as well as each other. You see, this is why it's so important to be here in church. It's actually important for our health, physical, mental, spiritual, as well as to the health of the community. We need each other. Being here takes us where we are meant to be. It takes us to the banquet table, where now and hereafter we find our true place and our true joy.